Welcome to another edition of the Cybersecurity Dispatch Podcast, where we talk with experts and practitioners who are pushing the envelope in cybersecurity. This is your host, Andy Anderson. In this episode, Cybersecurity is a Human Problem, we talk with Andrea Little Limbago, Chief Social Scientist at Endgame, and talk about how people figure into the challenge of securing the internet and what the future of the internet looks like as it splinters from an open borderless system to one that increasingly gets controlled by state and sovereign nations. Awesome. Well, thanks for sitting down with us. I know probably a busy couple of days. (laughs) Just for for people who are listening, you know, introduce yourself, your name, kind of where you're from, those sorts of things. Sure. Yeah. My name's Andrea Little Lombago. I'm the chief social scientist at Endgame, the security company based in the DC area. But my background actually is a little bit different. I've been I started off in academia. I have a PhD in political science. Oh, so. man, I feel for you. <laughs> it's been a lot of years. It was a lot of years, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I spent my 20s <laughs> in school. And so I did a lot of computational modeling of, okay. of interstate conflict. And so from there, I taught a little bit, went to NYU and taught there a little bit, and then went to the government okay. and worked for the Department of Defense. Okay. Was there for a while doing various kinds of analytics, and then now I'm at Endgame. Cool. And so do a lot still on researching and writing on the, the geopolitical aspects of cybersecurity. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, social scientist, I don't often yeah. hear. It's yeah. A role. No, yeah, no, it's not. I, I, I made up the title. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's nice when you get to do that, right? Yeah, just uh, made it up. It's yeah, good. Yeah, you know, and yeah, they went along with it. So, uh, <laughs> so I'm lucky in that regard. But as you know, I, I'm slowly actually starting to, to cross with other social scientists at the, in the conference right now, there's another one. So <laughs> we somehow tend to find each other. We, we kind of flock together. So it's good. I actually, I, I, there, there needs to be more social scientists in this area. Yeah. I mean, obviously, cybersecurity is highly technical, but at the end of the day, there's a human behind everything. Right. It's the eighth layer, right? The one we can't secure. <laughs> that's, that's exactly. And we're not going to. <laughs> and so and it's not yet. And not even just for def, you know, understanding defenses, also understand the attackers and their motives and incentives. And, and then even just see the, the interfaces for a lot of the the technologies just aren't user-friendly. So that's another aspect of it all. And the data visualization and making it so that analysts can actually use the products. So there's there's actually, there's a broad range. I actually wrote something on this last week on sort of the range of jobs now in cybersecurity is so much more broad. It's not just the hackers, which, you know, the the pen testing and all that and the reverse engineering is always going to be important, but, you know, there's a broad skill set that's needed. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the the range of, I mean, they always talk about like a million plus kind of open <laughs> yeah, positions, right? You can't show up at an event. But also, I think part of that is is that a lot of the jobs are, they're not only hard, in many cases, they're really um, repetitive and tedious and, and yeah. those sorts of things. Yeah. No, so it's interesting. So I actually um, just presented here. I did a survey at the end of last summer on retention. So there's a lot of focus on the pipeline, as it should be, you know, helping to grow the pipeline. But cybersecurity also has a, a retention challenge. And part of it, you know, based on the survey, you know, one of the big issues is burnout, which we, you know, that's understandable. But part of what's leading to some of the burnout is just you know, there, there aren't great career trajectories. And some of the stuff as people come in, they are doing just, it's kind of rote processes. Yeah. So they're doing kind of the same thing over and over that just can become very tedious. And so, which is, you know, on the one hand, there's you know, super challenging aspects of cybersecurity, but there's also some of it that really need to work toward you know, automating and helping make that part of the job better yeah. for, for the workforce. And so if we can enhance in that area, I think that'll be another way to help retain. And that, that was something that people commented on numerous times throughout that survey. Yeah. It's sort of how do we make 
you know, you not doing the same job over and over and over. Exactly. Again. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think anyone's going to burn out. And then, it, and it's not even, you know, just doing it over and over again. It's for long hours. It can be, you know, nights and weekends. And so it's, yeah. It never ends. Yeah. I mean, really. <laughs> and, and you literally are in this world where everything's a potential kind of like disaster, oh, yeah. right? Yep. So. Yeah. And then, and, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter you know, what, how much you stopped. If something got in, that's right. where you're going to be held accountable. Yeah. And so it's really, it's kind of, it's stacked against you. And so even, you know, how corporations sort of view, view metrics of performance and success, that those are the kind of things as well that need to be, to take those kind of aspects into account. It's a, it's a different kind of job than many of the other ones. And, we just haven't really innovated organizationally, I think. Yeah. I mean, you know, part of in all of these sort of discussions, we often talk about kind of the problems, but we also think it's nice to kind of highlight potential solutions and people who are, or at least people who are doing it well. Now, in this space, that's usually not actually company name because nobody's, <laughs> yeah. nobody wants to talk about that's anybody exactly right. <laughs> specific. But if you think about people who are or organizations, what are they doing that is that is working, even yeah. for the retention issues, particularly? Yeah, there are different aspects. Some can be something as simple as companies have you know, paid time off and those kind of things. Making sure your employees take that. <laughs> and when they take that, that they're not actually making them work vacations. Yeah. And so being out, providing those kind of breaks, I mean, it's something that seems so simple, right? And that's and actually even here, like from certain levels, you push back. Oh, they've got you know, unlimited leave, which means they're going to take unlimited time off. No. And cybersecurity, that's really not, that does not tend to be what happens. No, people aren't taking their time off. Then when they are, it's, it's a work vacation, which isn't a, that's not a vacation. Yeah. And so people, people need the, to take a break. They need to step away from it, you know, unwind all that. Like, that's so important for mental health. And so those kind of aspects of it, you know, some companies are doing things that sort of you know, cross mingle the security workforce with some of the rest of the workforce. Yeah. So you make it more of a, like a collegial relationship because so often security is viewed as, oh, they're, you know, they're there to slow us down yeah. as opposed to you know, keep us safe. And so just better education in that area, I think helps out a lot. Yeah. And then you create that really that culture of security, right? Because yeah. there is that sort of discussion and you understand maybe why people aren't, aren't implementing yeah. procedures that you've set up. And also yeah. then they maybe do use some of the procedures because they realize how important it is. They do. Yeah. And then, but and you also see, you know, when you don't have that, you see people trying to circumvent the security, which then, you know, that's not helpful either. That doesn't help anyone. So it's communication, which then gets factored to like the broader range of skills that are needed. <laughs> I'm laughing because I remember a friend who I used to work with. We had like, I think we had blue coat, right? Where it's like blocked you from going to sites, right? And, and I get it, right? You're not supposed to go to sites that are inappropriate for work. Yeah. Like ESPN was blocked and stuff like that. So my friend, whenever he got that, and you quickly realized like, I mean, the warnings are awful, right? So the first time you're like, oh my God, right? And then, <laughs> you know, once you've hit it like a hundred yeah. times, you're just like, nothing's going to happen. No, right? you're, you're desensitized to it. So it's like, it doesn't matter. Right? So, yeah. <laughs> so my friend, like, whenever he got one, he'd just go right back. Right? He'd just like, yeah, you know it. <laughs> <laughs> that's right <laughs> yeah. it's, it's that human challenge right like whatever where do they intersect yeah and you know we just do it and even you know i'm sort of the broader thinking about security and if we, if we still you know one of our biggest problems is you know, being humans and not click on a link yeah that that should not be we should not be counting on that yeah. for, for good security <laughs> like, if humans are going to screw stuff up we should count that that is going then, to happen that's exactly right yeah but that, that so we need to just Think more creatively in a lot of these different areas. Yeah. And I think the community is starting to do that, which is good. But I think for that to happen, I, again, I think it needs you know, different disciplines all coming in together and working together on yeah. that. 
so I, I had a chance before we sat down to kind of read through a couple of the articles that you've written recently. So right. <laughs> you get the terror. <laughs> no, like, which one? I hope I remember so, what I wrote. So, uh, no, we'll make it easy. <laughs> so one of the things that you were talking about were kind of the different frameworks of how people are thinking about data, particularly like GDPR oh. versus like some of the other countries sort of their, their way of thinking about security and about data controls for those people who you know, didn't have a chance to kind of find that article. Yep. Walk us through kind of those different frameworks. Yeah, no, that's so, this is one of the things we think about that, that you know, keeps me up at night. <laughs> you know, so you have to go that, down that road. Um, <laughs> we're moving toward, you know, the, sort of the, initially you know, the internet, the, the vision of it was to be a free and open internet. Only good's going to come from that. And, you know, an and, idyllic place. Exactly, right? Yeah, it's a utopia. <laughs> and of course, you know, I, yeah, as someone who studied you know, conflict and you know, interstate warfare, so I kind of think about the dystopian. <laughs> and I worry that we're actually moving more and more towards a, a place where it's called the balkanized internet or the splinter net. So it's the breaking apart of the internet based on state sovereignty, which is interesting because it's so different than even five years ago, everyone's like, oh, it's, it's a borderless internet. But it's, it's really, it's not. And, and countries, especially authoritarian regimes, are starting to have the, implement their own versions of, so it's called like data localization. So they have their own regulations as far as you know, what, what data the government should access. And it could be anything from you know, your, your, you know, your social media to emails. I mean, really, it could be, could be almost anything in some of the states. Yeah, I mean, and, the, the Great Firewall is probably what people are that's ex- most familiar yeah. with. Right? Yeah, there's the Great Firewall, but then other countries are now trying to implement this very, something very similar. And this is why it matters so much that you've got China on the one hand, who's basically the, the forefront of that model, where basically it's a closed off, they control what information comes in and out. You know, China's implementing a, a social credit system now, which to me is terrifying. I'm but not it's familiar and, with that. What's a social so, credit yeah, system? Yeah, so they're slowly starting to implement it, and it, it's, it's going to be rolling out over the next few years. And so... It's a score that everyone's person is going to have based, and I think some of it has actually already rolled out. Some of these scores are already existing. And it can be based on anything from your online content, who's in your social network, and their scores, in addition to other kind of, uh, have you been late on a loan? Have you been late paying pit bills? Like, so it's taking in all these various aspects and creating scores for you. And it can impact then down the road, your job applications, whether you can get a loan for something. And so it's going to have this, it's going to permeate throughout society and it's all under government control. And so it's like your credit score on steroids absolutely. with a political kind of filter rolled over it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And, again, and it's based on you know, who's within your network as well. And so that's going to start, I mean, so you talk about like sort of stratifying society as well between the haves and the have nots. You know, I just read an article, I think one of the, I cited this one in, in my own piece, where it's already starting to get implemented. You, people are looking at like, how they can move up and who they can link to to help them move up that ladder. Yeah. And then intentionally not linking to other people. So, that, so that's one version of it. Sort of the, what I think is the, the more utopian and hopefully more towards the individual privacy is more like the GDPR, which the EU is rolling out in May. And so that's much more so on personal privacy. And so it's got aspects like the right to be forgotten, yeah. which is very popular in Europe. You know, Different than the than the United States, you know, people get can have access to their own data from you know, whatever company if they ask for it. Yep. And so there have been some interesting stories written about that about people getting their you know, their dating profile, the data coming right. back to them and just being like, oh my, like the amount that people put into that, yeah. and they they don't without even realizing how much information they're putting into it. And so right. that within the GDPR, while that's getting protected, so the individual has more control over their own data. Yeah, so, but mean, you can see those are two those are the two sort of extremes going on right now. Yeah, and you know. We try and stay hopeful, at least partly, in these talks. So, I mean, the, although the, the China stuff is is truly frightening, no, right? absolutely. And that and that idea 
of it's not just even what the government is potentially doing, but then you start to have people sort of self-censor and act kind of in reaction to it. Right? Yes. And I should say there is some, you know, there is the society within China you know, is by no means, you know, monolithic. And so there are, you know, there are groups that are circumventing the censorship as well, yeah. finding interesting ways to go around it. And so just because that's a path they're going down now doesn't mean it forever will be. So I think we have to keep that in mind as well, especially as China, you know, more on the, like, the political science side, they're approaching a GDP per capita where a lot of countries, you know, historically have transitioned into democracies. And so they're going to be at a turning point with a lot of other social factors and technology factors going on that just because this is the path they're on now doesn't mean that that's yeah. the, always going to be the one they'll be on. Which is incredibly frightening, I think, for if you were in the leadership there. Right? Oh, they're, absolutely. They're, you know, I'm sure they're looking at the data with a lot more sort of diligence than maybe we are. Right? Yeah, yeah, well, absolutely. And then you know, they also have more of a longer term outlook on things. They're also throwing a lot of money though into technology and really well, they're looking at you know, AI as a new Sputnik moment and they want to win that race. But at the same time, you know, they are thinking about you know, how to maintain control. That's why you're seeing a lot of the corruption you're going through and, and it's why they're calling out some of the different leadership purges that are going on. So yeah, it's a fascinating time to watch that. At the same time, you know, that's, that's not even talking about Russia and some of the other countries. So one of the things I wonder, you know, is partly as you sort of think about sort of cyber conflict and cyber warfare is part of that sort of data control, sort of balkanization of the internet, partly to, you know, if you, if you think, okay, I mean, one of the interesting, scary, unique things about cyber warfare is that once you release an exploit, you may not have full control over where it goes yep. and what it hits. And so if you start to take your own, you know, an entire country's systems to a different place, right, yeah. then if you release sort of potential exploits, right, like... Yeah, the, uh, the unintended consequences. Yeah. And then, you're, so even taking that step further, depending on who, which government is doing that, may or may not care about unintended consequences. Yeah. And so the best example of that actually is from last year is not Petia. Yeah. If you remember that, that, so that was one after WannaCry, global ransomware attack that actually had a wiper malware component within it. Yeah. Turns out, you know, and so everyone thought it was, you know, it was you know, ransomware just like WannaCry. And so initially that's what everyone thought. Turns out, you know, it wasn't just for that. It was targeted, targeted at Ukraine, yeah. <laughs> but it had global reach. I mean, and it was, I mean, there were some com- companies that it cost Did several hundred million. Yeah. 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 Yeah, a couple hundred million dollars yeah. of damage as collateral damage. And it's been somewhat attributed to Russia, who yeah. doesn't care, right? I and mean, that's not, it's, and it's not within their, does not impact them at all if right. a FedEx or Merck or Maersk or any of those get hit. Yeah. I mean, one, they, they don't really have ownership stakes in them. So, no. and also, and I've heard this, but I'd love your kind of perspective is that the Russian internet in some ways is, looks very different than the rest of the internet. So a lot of the sort of exploits don't necessarily impact them. Yeah, no, that's, so I've heard, so I haven't done any of my own analysis on that, but I've, I've heard that as well. And so that's what gets back to some of the, the targeting and how so many of these are increasingly customized for certain intended effects. And so if, and then you have some organization is unlucky enough to look very similar to that to you know, to the actual target they're going to be hit by it so yeah i mean I, I think that that does impact the exploit profile and the attack profile yeah and then the whole sort of cryptocurrency sort of movement is yeah. is really interesting as well from either one an ability for nations criminals or nation states to yeah. potentially profit i mean yeah the, 
you know, North Korea might, be, that, their, that's might first, be their top business. Right? I was say that, then that's what first comes to mind, right? Like, well, they already made a lot of money off the attacking SWIFT. Right. <laughs> you know, why not go after Bitcoin? Why not go that, that this is, it's very lucrative. Yeah. And there are no repercussions. Right. Because no. they don't, nobody's like, nobody's on the internet in North Korea other than these guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, this was interesting, but Russia just created the, the second access for North Korea. Oh, I don't know. What, yeah. So, so before North Korea, basically, there's one way, get, you know, one pipeline into okay. the internet for, for North Korea. And that was, so China provided that. Okay. Russia's now provided a second one within the last two or three months. Yeah. So Just because they thought, why not? Why not? Yeah. yeah I mean, so that's kind of the, the interesting, the dynamics we're starting to see is sort of the unlikely allies, I think, are starting to, I think there's more collaboration or at least mutual interests that are going on with North Korea and Russia. Right. We're trying to get back to hope, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> So GDPR, I, I yes. think so. Interesting thing that we've been talking about with some people is that you know will, and I'd love your opinion. Is do you think essentially GDPR will become you know a global standard for those who are not kind of necessarily yeah. moving to the Russia, yeah, or the China? Well, so I think I think it's going to be the trailblazer for it, and so that's the you can just kind of see the two different paths. One's the what they call a cyber sovereignty path, and that's what you know the Russia China authoritarian model, and the other one's a multi stakeholder model. And that's what the, the democracies are, are tending to go under, where they do protect you know, individual liberties and freedom, in addition to having sort of the free and open internet as best you can, even if it's not the entire globe, but you know, perhaps within different blocks of it. But yeah, but I mean, we're already seeing other countries starting to copy some aspects of the GDPR, even in the US we are. So I think that it is setting the path for how democracies are going to move forward, which is why it's important to keep an eye on it. And even like in the, in the US, you know, people may think it doesn't matter because it's an EU regulation, but... Any company that has European data. It's basically everyone. To, yeah, yeah, right? And then also, say for whatever reason you don't, these similar kind of aspects, regulations are probably coming down the road. And that, yeah. that's the interesting thing that for so long, policy and law has lagged so, so far behind technology. We're starting to see that change now. The EU does seem to be leading the way in that area. So we'll see. I mean, we still need way more structured policy and more of the national security front in this area. But as far as data privacy, it is moving forward. Very cool. All right, let's talk. I mean, if this is your day job, like I want your day job, I'm going to make up my own title. <laughs> I just, I have to get that PhD first. <laughs> yeah, you got yeah, to do that and be poor for a while. Yeah. So it's Ooh, <laughs> yeah. Ouch. But I'd love to hear kind of a little bit about Endgame and kind of what you guys are doing and how you're sort of seeing the world. You know, what are you guys doing on a daily basis? So we are a product company. So we have a endpoint protection platform. Okay. And so... What I like a lot about it, I'm part of the research team. And so for us day to day, we, we do you bring the different disciplines together, like I was talking about. So we've, you know, there's a machine learning aspect to us. We've got a data science team, which is phenomenal. And so a lot of R&D going in there for, for detecting malware and so forth. In addition to a lot of people who have government backgrounds, formerly used to work on offense and you know, are implementing the you know, prevention detection techniques to stop you know, what they know how to do. And so implementing all that together, but also within, we have a design team. So making sure that the interface design means that you don't have to have a, you know, a PhD or 10 years, 20 years of experience. Someone can come in and protect their, you know, protect their, you know, their data a lot faster. So it, it's for enterprises. It'll roll out across like sort of any device that you have or sort of, is there a specific um, focus? Specific focus is much more so you know, within the corporate network. Huh. So it's not going to be something that you know, individual will you know, on their right, own right. buy and, and put what is it? I mean, if I'm a you know corporate user and I'm you know in the sort of bring your own device kind of oh know? right no it's more it's for the, the security operations cells 
So okay. the, 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 for the folks who are actually protecting okay. the, the, so the company. Focused. Yeah, very focused on sort of the, the, the niche component of people who are protecting their corporations. And Do you guess focus on an industry or just sort of whoever? Yeah, so that's interesting. So that's, you know, again, so Endgame, I've been there for all, going on four years. Okay. And so in, in, you know, my first start is still very much in the startup phase. Yeah. So it's been interesting just on, on that regard, because um, having been in academia, having been in government and then going to startup, <laughs> very different mentality, very different pace, like everything. And so I feel like I've been through, you know, several different lives <laughs> just, just within the, the one company. And so we started off, even before I got there, and game started off just working for the government and then has evolved, you know, kind of like moving the big ship so that it, while we still, the product is still deployed within the government, we're focusing much more so commercially as well. And so, yeah, right now, that, that, that's really the, the big push for, for this year and last year is where that's been going. Yeah, get the corporates in there, right? Yeah. And again, we've had some luck and that's, you know, we've done a couple of press releases on some of the, the big companies that we've recently started working with. So, um, so it's exciting. It's been exciting seeing, you know, basically coming from, you know, when I first came in this product, you know, aspects of it existed in you know, kind of different places, but seeing everything come together, it's kind of exciting. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, you know, I've been peppering you with questions. So this is, this is your chance. You've got a mini soapbox. What, what would you, you know, what would you sort of want to share with this community kind of get messages that you want out there? I mean, what are you sort of excited about? What are you? Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. There are a lot of things I'm excited about. Those, but the one thing, <laughs> the product, so I'm excited that you didn't ask me what's like being a woman in cybersecurity. <laughs> this is probably the first interview that hasn't happened. Yeah. So thank you for if doing you want, if you No, want to no, talk I about don't. That, I, and it's important to talk about that, but it's, I think it's really, really, really important. Like my soapbox is we need to be talking to you know, the underrepresented groups about their expertise yeah. and not about what, you know, what's like being, you know, that's mainly the question that I always get. And I always, I always my pushback is like, I don't have a gender studies background. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So I guess giving my perspective, I, I'd rather talk about you know, conflict and, yeah. and, and you know, geopolitical you know, posturing and all those kind of things. So, so that's exciting. This is, so well done on that. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah, you know, but I got another soapbox. It, it, I think things are moving really, really quickly now. And it, I think that I, I wish more of the, the population was was better aware. I think as a security community, we don't do a great job translating why things matter. Yeah. So I wish we'd do a better job of communicating to the rest of the world why you know, why it's important to you know, to update your phone whenever you see there's you new know, updates that you need. Why being safe on social media? There's so many aspects that, and this is one something actually I just wrote last week too. So you know how does cyber security and attacks affect the individual? And so it goes across the range, but you know a lot of people just don't understand. And part of it is. You know, sort of the societal aspects, right? Like even like the Olympics are going to be a big target. Yeah. So even if you're not in national security, there are other aspects that are under attack. But for that individual, like social media now is just becoming such a, a an attack vector. And even if you think you're not important, it depends on where you work. But then there's also the at the individual level, there, there's you know, the spyware and surveillance. Like it, it just scary. It is scary. Yeah. So and doesn't mean that's going to ha- you know, it's not you know omnipresent. So you don't have to worry like. At least, you know, in, in, in the United States, you just not have to worry about that. But just being cognizant of it and and protecting data more and not putting out as much data as people tend to do. Yeah, I mean, we. I was at a conference yesterday and we were talking about the election system. That's something that we're pretty. Uh, we got pulled in based on some conversations with election officials yep. in in various states, and we're, you know, somewhat surprised, scared, right, blown away by sort yeah. of some of the issues there. And, you know, we spent some time kind of adapting our, our system to see if it could, it could help and then also to rally the community in general. But what was, you know, what was incredible in this, convers- in this conversation I presented was somebody's like, 
basically said, you know, the problems are so large that, you know, should we, is, can we even think about addressing that? Right. Which yeah. is, you know, it's, in this community, if you yeah. feel like you're in this community and you feel like, should we even bother? Yeah. Can you imagine if you're like Joe Q public? Right. right. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, the complete, the defeatist mentality. Yeah. No, and we can't go there. I mean, cause on the one hand, it is, I mean, it's just so large and overwhelming and we're seeing so many more aspects of society impacted, but we have to, I mean, that, that at the end of the day, I mean, we have to protect our elections. And that's, and that's you know, one of the things for you know, 2018 that I worry about are the, are the midterm elections. Yeah. And I don't care what party you're in. I mean, both are going to get attacked. Yeah. We've seen it. Yeah, I think going back to at least 08, where both presidential candidates had some sort of attack against them. So it's not, this is not a partisan issue. And that, I think that's one of the things that drives me nuts because both groups are going to get attacked and it's going to be across the U.S. You know, it's, it's, there'll be some targeting going on. But um, as we see, um, look at some of the European elections going on. Or, you know, Russia has been... Macron making, was pretty, it sounded like, was deeply... Yeah. Hacked, as well as the impact on, like, Brexit as well. Absolutely, yeah, no, absolutely. And, so, and, and, and the thing with the French election was that, this is why I think we're going to see, when something works elsewhere, it's probably going to get tried again, right? And so, you know, in France and in elsewhere, what we've seen are, you know, the hacks that happens, you've got the, you know, the cyber attacks going on, but then what gets dumped... You, know, you get the misinformation sort of embedded you know, within the data. And so it becomes very, very hard for people to figure out the, you know, the, what's real and what's not from the, from, 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 the, from, from the data dumps, though, right? So it's combining yeah. sort of the trolls with the cyber attack. Oh, yeah. And so it's not just fake news. It's like it's pushed out there as a, as a, as a real email when it may not actually have been an yeah. email. And that's written about elsewhere that major tensions in the Middle East when there was a hack and you know, fake information was then planted, you know, led to boycotts and, you know, both political and economics. I mean, I, I think we're going to start seeing more and more that this combination of, of the cyber attack, what plus the, the misinformation together. And again, I mean, that's, and I think that might happen within our, the 2018 election. Yeah. And so we just have to be aware of it. And that again, it goes back to education, right? You can find out what's the source, why is something, you know, dumping what they're dumping and when, yeah. right? So, you know, it's, it's challenging times, right? to, to say the least. But what do they uh, say yeah. curse to live in interesting times. Yeah, I guess, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are we are for sure living in those right now. <laughs> well, this is great. Thank you so much for sitting down with us. This is really interesting. I mean, yeah. you know, such a wide ranging discussion. So, yeah. Awesome. No, thank you. It's fun. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks.